Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Michael Footer. And I'm Amanda Farrow. On each episode, we'll cover the biggest business beats and bring in expert commentary from lawyers, analysts, and industry pros. This is episode 127. The game industry is deathly quiet on abortion rights. a real weird time to be a woman in between countries, let me tell you. It's a real weird time to be someone who believes in privacy and the individual's right to choose what happens to their body. And I'm going to say this right up front. If you are listening to this and the thing that just came out of your mouth was, what about vaccines? I'm going to stop you right there. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to stop you right there because a woman choosing for whatever reason, a person who is able to become pregnant choosing for whatever reason, whether it is a medical reason, a personal reason, whatever, to end a pregnancy does not affect anybody else except them. It does not. They are the person who has to carry that parasite all the way through gestation and eventual birth, in which case that that child at that point is alive on their own. If you choose not to become vaccinated, or if you have been vaccinated and have not been boosted, you are making a decision that impacts public health. We saw this at GDC. We have seen it at PAX where someone lost their life. Yeah. There is a huge difference between making a decision that negatively impacts everybody around you, has dire, long-term health consequences, By the way, I'm talking about the decision not to get vaccinated against COVID-19 versus the decision that a person who can get pregnant makes about their pregnancy. And for those of you who are on the religious right, I'm going to speak for a moment as a Jew and I can speak for those who follow Islam as well, because neither of those religions have prohibitions on abortion. And speaking for Judaism, there are many threads about this. There are many articles that have been written about this, where if the mother's life is in danger due to, let's say, an ectopic pregnancy, which these white Southern men seem to think is oh, a viable pregnancy. They're terrible and they are extremely dangerous. Yes, and they you can, can die. You can die. They would rather a woman die. A person who, a can, person get who can get pregnant mm-hmm. die than to make the choice to terminate that pregnancy. In Judaism, if the mother's life is in danger, that pregnancy must be ended. It is not a separate entity until birth. I don't want to go too far into this, but we're going to talk about this matter in terms of the game industry when we talk about talk in the labor report. But I wanted to get that stuff out of the way first. As an American, as a man, as someone who believes in a person who can become pregnant's right to choose what happens to that pregnancy. The current state of affairs is terrifying. And spoiler, I'm a little upset that we're not hearing more from the video game industry, but we'll get back to that. Yes. And if you are wondering why I don't have more to say on this, I'm not American. I'm Canadian. If this is your first time listening to the show, there there is a little bit of a difference. Just a small one. Just a small one. Tiny, tiny, really. I mean, I know we're neighbors, but we do have enormous cultural differences. Mm -hmm. So I am not necessarily comfortable weighing in on this as anything other than a mom saying, I still support a person's right 
to choose. You can both be someone who says, this is not a decision that I would make for myself and support other people's right to make that decision for themselves. I mean, cracking open that door just for a quick moment, I actually don't know what I would have done if I had been in a position where that was a decision that I needed to make. Yes. I don't know. And it doesn't matter that I don't know because those decisions are very personal to me and should be very personal to whomever has to make that really challenging choice. And I guess, you know, I'll say this before we move on to the rest of the show. Uh, We live relatively close to New York City. If for some reason you have the burning desire to uh, come and visit the metro New York area, uh, we would love to have you. And we'll never, ever talk about that trip that you take to the New York area. For visiting the New York area, where, you know, coincidentally, apropos of nothing, uh, the state's right, the states have determined that, uh, this state in particular has determined that uh, a person who can who can become pregnant has the right to choose what happens to that pregnancy. Yes. And should a federal, should the federal thing go in the direction that we think it is going to continue to go, that's not going to change. Here in the state of New Jersey. No. Where you can stay and visit the great the great city of New York City. Uh, or see everything that the metro New York area, including uh, this lovely part of New Jersey, has to offer. It's actually really pretty here. It is very pretty here. Okay. Well, this this is a... This is a very nuanced conversation. If you're interested in actually discussing it and you have questions or you have your own stories and you want to share them with us, honestly, hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on Discord. We're always glad to listen. Absolutely. But let's move ahead and jump into the meat of the show. Mike, what is up first? So remember that whole Epic and Apple and I've Epic and Google thing? We only it. talked about that for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, months and months and months at a time. I must have blocked it out. Entirely. Remember remember how Apple, in a in a bid to become as punitive as possible, removed Fortnite from the App Store? I do have an inkling of a memory about that. And Google did the same? Yes, I do. Well, thanks to a... Uh, Partnership with Microsoft, you can now play Fortnite again on iOS and Android via the cloud. Via the cloud. So all you have to do, so using the progressive web app, remember, Apple has been shitty with Microsoft as well about downloading a cloud gaming app or Game Pass or anything like that Mm -hmm. because they want every single game to have its own store page. Absurd. How neat. How neat. Uh, And it's entirely free. So that means that you don't have to have a subscription to Game Pass or Xbox Live. Yep. And there was something I saw that Tim Sweeney was talking about. Uh, they are passing along a discount onto the uh, onto consumers. Like, oh, I don't wow. know if... Because what's happening is if you buy it through a PWA, if you buy it through Xbox Cloud Gaming, right? You're... I don't know if you're playing the PC version. Okay. I don't know how that whole thing works. But I think that Microsoft's not even getting a cut of the in-game transactions so they're passing the savings on to consumers mm-hmm. so that's really interesting um all you need is a microsoft account you don't need an xbox live gold account you don't need a game pass account uh and microsoft says that more free-to-play games are coming oh that's pretty exciting. yeah so this is really interesting i assume that apple is spitting bullets right now that's pretty because funny, regardless though. of what happens with the lawsuit which by the way the outcomes to the lawsuit are still important and just because Epic was able to to end run 
the walled garden approach doesn't mean that any other developer has that same cachet. So just because it worked for Apple does not mean it's a fix for everybody else. So the outcome to that lawsuit and the appeal is still still extremely important. important. Absolutely. So we saw that and kind of chuckled about how that must be pissing off Apple. But please don't make a mistake that this is a complete solution to the Apple problem. It's definitely not. There's there's definitely a ton of work there that needs to be done. Well, especially after Apple started letting people know that that if they didn't update their apps, they were going to be removed. Even if those apps continue to work in the latest versions of iOS, have zero problems, have no changes, like they can't exist as completed works they can't exist as artifacts yeah it's what? ridiculous I, mm, it's almost like video game preservation is super important or yeah something. thankfully you work with a video game preservation organization it's true that, that great true. hit save organization that's true all right what's up next let's talk about paradox let us talk about paradox so paradox just released their numbers for q1 mm-hmm. of this fiscal and it was a it was you know honestly it was a strong quarter and they have been they have somehow managed to pull themselves out of a tailspin. And by somehow, I mean, they're going right back to what they were doing before. But before we get into the analysis and the numbers, let's talk about the numbers just for a second. So revenue was up 31% from 364.5 million sec. Mm-hmm. That's so weird saying that. Yeah, we heard. So for those of you who have heard us say SEK a whole bunch, when, we, when I was watching the Embracer webcast after the Square Enix sale, which we talked about last week. You should listen to that show if you haven't. It's, it's a really it's good honestly, show. It's honestly one of our best. So he kept saying sec. So we just started saying I sec. I guess we're doing sec. Yes. Um, so it was up, it was, you know, up quite a bit uh, to 476.1 million sec. So ended up fluctuating from... 36.2 million to 47.3 million US. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is mainly due to City Skylines, Crusader Kings 3, Europa Universalis 4, Hearts of Iron 4, and Stellaris. The meat and potatoes. It's Paradox meat and potatoes. It really right is. It's Grand Strategy and also City Skylines. I don't know if I would put City Skylines into Grand Strategy. They said management. It's Grand yeah, Strategy Grand and management, strategy is, and their, management. is their core. So. Yeah. All right, so Crusader Kings 3 came out on Xbox, mm-hmm. and it also came out on PlayStation 5. Mm. Crusader Kings 3 also hit 2 million in sales. Okay. So there was also new DLC, the Royal Court for Crusader Kings 3, airports for City Skylines. Ooh, that might pull me back in. And Perfect Storm for Prison Architect. Yeah, I still don't know how I feel about those prison games. Uh, they're not for me. They're just not. Yeah. I already know they're not for me. They're just not for me. It's like okay. the escapists is one thing because you're like busting out of prison. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not for me. That's yeah. okay. Not everything is for me. And that's okay too. Operating profit shot up 125% to 208.5 million SEK from 92.5 million SEK. So that's from $9.19 million US to 20. million US. That's huge. Mm -hmm. That's an enormous jump. You know what else jumped? What? Net income. Oh, yeah. Net income took a big, big leap. Net income was 207.7 million sec, up 127% from 91.6 million sec. So that's from 9.1 million 
to 20.6 million US. Yeah, they had had a rough year. I would say all all of last year, all of fiscal 2021-22. It was a was, tough year. It was rough for them. Yeah. And they had a, they had some they 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 were starting to to show some challenges in 2020. Not nearly as much. They still, you know, no one did as well as Nintendo that year, but for the most part they were they were steady. Mhm. 2021 came around not steady anymore. 2022 seems to be on an upswing. Yeah. So as we've discussed during previous quarterly financials for Paradox, the company has been at odds with itself for a number of years. So former CEO uh, Eva Lorungrud was leading the charge into a more varied approach to Paradox's publishing portfolio with limited success because, well, the last couple of years have been really hard. Yeah, I mean... They're doing some smart things right now, like the Shadow the Shadow Run trilogy, which wasn't developed under Paradox, but now Harebrained is owned by Paradox. So I'm so that's so that's Paradox. It, it honestly feels like a lot of their internal studios. It feels like what they were purchased for. They're now being squandered. Um. Yeah. I mean, Harebrained with BattleTech, like they definitely know strategy. So oh, be Harebrained's fine. amazing. I'm just really curious. I was a big fan of the direction that Eva was taking Me Paradox too. because it didn't get rid of the meat and potatoes. It just said, hey, we're really successful with the meat and potatoes. Why don't we experiment a little bit and see if we can we can hit gold somewhere yeah. else? Yeah. And then follow that path a little bit. So we're diversifying just a little bit because well, they're so reliant on strategy and management games. And there's clearly a hunger for it, and mm-hmm. that's not likely to change. I think what what they're really what I what I would change in their position isn't necessarily, you know, strictly going in Eva's direction or strictly going in Fred Wester's direction, who's now the CEO. He was currently the CEO, was formerly the CEO. Yes, it's confusing. Mm. So I think that the hybrid approach of like dipping your toe in is perfectly reasonable, but they own World of Darkness. And considering what kind of licensing fees they have around Vampire the Masquerade and the World of Darkness is actually really troubling. You are not going to find great experimental, interesting games in this universe, in these universes, unless you take the handcuffs off and say, here's what what we'll give you and here's what we need in return. I honestly think they are taking cues from... Games Workshop. But Games Workshop is no longer doing that and is having greater success as a result of turning on the fire hose. Right. <sighs> it's a problem. It really is because it's there are going to be very few indie studios out there that can afford that. Mm-hmm. You know, minus Draw Distance because Draw Distance did the... The um, Coteries games. The Coteries games. And the Coteries games are very strong. Mm-hmm. So... Except for that bug that killed your playthrough. Oh, and that no one responded to me about? Yeah, that yeah. was that was a fun one for me. So anyway, yeah. Wester is pushing to keep Paradox where it's best, grand strategy and management. Uh, his comments in this quarter's reports are indicative of his confidence in, in going in this direction, going so far as to say that this is the strongest and most focused pipeline that Paradox has ever had. Mm-hmm. Wester's direction is clearly paying off, which is fine, but for me... 
I wonder if the challenges that the development teams have had outside of Bloodlines 2, because we all know that that has been an extremely troubled project. Yeah, for a lot of different reasons. For a ton of different reasons, is because of the combination of working under quarantine throughout 2020 and 2021, and the sometimes extremely nebulous nature of development itself. Oh yeah, development is chaos wrangled. It really is. It's a miracle any game is made quite mm-hmm. frankly, and makes it out the door. Yeah. But the publisher is adamant on digging into the games that they already have. And they, and what Wester said is that they're going to be increasing cadence of content this year. Very interesting. I, I mean, yeah, I, we're, we're used to seeing an increased level of, of content cadence from Paradox. That's mm-hmm. what's made their business model so strong. And at the same time, Fred, you're crunching? Yeah. Are you crunching your people? I'm curious. I'm really curious. And the fact that we haven't heard anything about Bloodlines 2, like either they are going to have a big coming out party for the new and improved Bloodlines 2. It was already heading in a really wonderful direction. Right. Or it's going to get kicked off a cliff and canceled. Bloodlines is cursed. Yeah. The first game was cursed too, quite frankly, but I have have so many thoughts. Still got high hopes. I think we still have like... Like the super expensive collector's edition pre-ordered somewhere. We I think do. directly from Paradox. We do, in fact, uh, yeah. because I very much desire this game. Yes. So that's what's going on with Paradox. Mike, do you have any thoughts about your perspective, your analysis on what's going on with Paradox? I, it, it seems World of Darkness made so much sense under the expanded, the expanded um, philosophy about what that company was going to be. And to me, I don't know how it fits anymore other it, than other than being a source of licensing revenue. Well, and that's the thing is like if you if you think about World of Darkness as a management sim, like what kind of management sim would you have? It doesn't work. No. Right? What kind of games can you create with the World of Darkness? Um, from a grand strategy perspective, maybe you could do something like Crusader Kings, Mm -hmm. right? Having something like Crusader Kings, but make it very political from from Vampire could be really interesting. Sure. But is there a hunger for that? Is is that something that... Yes, dear, I did that on purpose. Congratulations Uh for catching up. (laughs) Um, I I honestly wonder how how long it's going to take before they sell World World of Darkness to Embracer. (sighs) Well, we have a conversation coming up about continued, you know, peeking around the corner into consolidation. So why don't we jump right into it with Investment Interlude? Sure. So uh, kicking off Investment Interlude this week, Ubisoft has been in the news a bit with rumors that the company is quietly interested in a buyout. This first emerged in the last earnings call when CEO Yves said the company would entertain offers. This was in the midst of the whole Activision thing. And there was a lot of, obviously, M&A has been a constant theme for the last two years. Two especially. years, yeah. So it's not entirely surprising that they said it, but also is a cocking an eyebrow like, you say that on an, on an earnings call, you are opening the floodgates. Potentially. Potentially, if somebody's interested. So That's Seeking a big Alpha. If. Seeking Alpha, which uh, is a great resource. Oh, yes, definitely. Wrote, is reporting. So this is not a Seeking Alpha blogger. But the actual This is report. actually Seeking Alpha. Yeah. Reporting that Gimo fam- the Gimo family is in preliminary talks with a couple of private equity firms, Blackstone and KKR, to take the company private. And also it would leave the Gimos in charge. So to take the company private... 
would potentially erode transparency. Oh, definitely erode transparency because you have no onus, you have no requirement to keep, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit too. Oh, I know we are. Uh, has no, there's no requirement to keep investors and therefore the general public in the know. Now, we do want to stress that these are early talks. They might not go anywhere, but it's a testament to the deal frenzy that's going on right now. Yeah, big time. Investors seem to actually like it. Share, oh, yeah, share price jumped more than 10%, but also it gets them out of the turbulence of all of the huge problems that Ubisoft caused for itself by not managing its workplace environment, its toxic workplace culture. Yep. Um, so why might the Gimos be interested in this path? Well, Vivendi still has them scared. They're still worried about a, a hostile takeover. Even after all these years. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, that was a, that was a really rickety time. Yeah. It was. And they don't want to risk another hostile takeover, especially with everything that happened with Twitter, where if you have one or two people come in, and, and we're going to talk about a hostile takeover in a second. Oh, boy. Yeah. So it's really interesting. It, there's not a guarantee that anything is going to happen here, but I think this is something we should all be watching. And I kind of do want to know. Now, obviously, a lot of employees do have shares. Yeah. And they do have options. Yeah. And they might have a number of employees who get a payday out of this. But if the Gimos stay in charge and a better Ubisoft is saying not enough has happened to improve the workplace culture and then you go private, I have to wonder if there's any motivation from the top to continue to improve. I would imagine not. Because who do you, what do you, at that point, what do you have to do? You just got to make money, right? All you have to do is put games out. You don't have to worry about investor sentiment around these reports. You know what you do have to be worried about? Consumer sentiment. Yeah. And talent flood and, and fleeing. So it's it's tough because Montreal especially like everybody goes through Ubisoft at yeah, some point. It's like true. it's it's just it's like it's almost like a rite of passage when you come up through games in Montreal mm -hmm. is you got to go through Ubisoft at some point, but it the churn is real. Like it's not it's not something that's imagined. Like this is a real thing that happens. And where it's it's tough because, you know, I'm I'm constantly rooting for the workers, mm -hmm. right? I'm constantly rooting for the workers. We both are. So the things that would keep them honest if they went private are twofold. One is consumer sentiment, and the other one is the media. Yep. And the media has to keep holding Ubisoft's feet to the fire. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And there's there like there's great reporting that goes on out there from you know from our peers and and former colleagues. So I just want to see more of that. Mm -hmm. Keep the pressure on. If they do take it private, it means that the media's job gets a lot harder. Yep. Yep. I don't it's messy. love it. I don't it's love messy. it at all. It's messy. I you know don't. what else is really messy? This this stuff that's happening with Turtle Beach, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So headset maker Turtle Beach sent a letter to investors late last week alerting them that it, it is considering a sale. The company says it has signed 10 NDAs and held nine management meetings with potential buyers. So a sale isn't guaranteed, but Turtle Beach is definitely signaling that they're serious. Mm-hmm. Previous sales discussions faltered because Turtle Beach's revenue and growth were both 
we're tied way too closely to the cyclical nature of console generations. Yep. Like that's really tough. How do you keep, you know, how do you, how do you keep consumers interested in your products when like, how many headsets do they really need? Right. And the interesting thing, because I did a lot of headset coverage when I was a full-time journalist. Well, I did too over on Super Parent, yeah. right? And at Mike. So there, it was very, it's very interesting. There are very different company profiles. If you look at Astro, Astro effectively has three, maybe four designs. A20s, a, I don't know if they still make A30s. I don't think they make A30s anymore. So A20s, A40s, and A50s. The A50s are the wireless ones. The I don't, A40s, you know, with the mix Do they still make the A10s? Uh, are the A10s just the the chat headsets? Uh, they're the they're the over the like on ear wireless um headphones. Oh, are you talking about the Bluetooth ones? I don't think yeah. they make those anymore either. Yeah, I have a pair of kicking and, around somewhere. Right, and then they've got the um. They've got the Astro the, ID, right? Which is actually really big. That uh, that is that is the thing that sets Astro apart more mm-hmm. than anything. Yeah, their design is the design quality, and that's relatively and, new. But in terms of technology, you've got your mix amp, which is iterated and improved on on mm-hmm. a relatively regular basis. And then you've got like maybe three models. Turtle Beach used to have something like thirty models of headsets. It was it was a lot. A- additionally, the other problem is that with this generation, especially with the large commitment to bringing technology forward, so especially on Xbox, it's like you didn't need to go and buy a new headset. Especially if you love the headset that you already have. Yeah. And listen, a lot of these, you know, low to mid range cost headsets break. Yep. They break. You need to replace them. They do. They they do have a life a shelf life. They do. And it's not because they're shoddily made, but because you get what you pay for. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. That's all it is. So, so, yeah. So, Mike, what the heck is going on here, though? Because, like, there's some kind of proxy fight happening yeah. at the same time. So, what's going on is that the Turtle Beach board is fighting for its life against uh, an asset management company called Donorail. They're attempting to oust the entire governing body. Whoa. Pretty much. I think they, they put up six names for the board. That were different than than who the the nominating committee identified. Holy smokes! So Donnerail and SCW Capital Management have formed an alliance. They own a combined eight point five percent of the company. Turtle Beach stock was thirty seven dollars per share in June twenty twenty one. It's about fifteen right now. Ooh. In uh, twenty thirteen, which is about nine years ago now, it reached its high of eighty four dollars. The current management took over eight years ago. So Donorail is saying the current management has has ground this company into dust and has not made decisions that have established a pattern of growth mm-hmm. and health. So they're done. They are now looking to essentially take over the company. Not entirely different from what happened with GameStop. Oh, that's true. Which yeah. wasn't a hostile takeover, but it did change the direction of the company. It did, yeah. Not that that's going any better, by the way. No. No. It's like, still a mess. The, the stock price there doesn't reflect what's actually going on at GameStop. So it's very interesting. So the company says it signed 10 NDAs. They've held nine management meetings with potential buyers. That doesn't mean anything's going to happen, but they are clearly serious about a sale. Thank you for reiterating everything I already said. Yes. Well, I think it's important. Yeah, you just gotta like you just gotta drive it home. Just drive case, it home, just in those case are, no one was listening. Those are big numbers. Like that's a lot of meetings. That's a lot of discussion. Now we'll see. 
But but the the fight that's brewing the proxy fight is the interesting yeah. thing to me between like the current board and Donnerale. Like it's just really interesting. Corporations are weird. <laughs> it is. Now, I actually covered Mad Cats as it was exploding into oh, a ball that, of flame. Honestly, that was heartbreaking. Sure. And I, that's to go into that whole story, because I know the entire story of what happened at Mad Cats, uh, would take a lot of time that we're not going to spend on this show. That's a conversation for another day. But the problem with physical product right now and you're talking about stuff that takes up space on shelves mm-hmm. where you now have GameStops that are so much smaller than they were and yeah. are put it packing in. First it was collectibles and now they're putting more PC equipment in. Sure. And it's not even just GameStop that's the problem. If you go to any Best Buy, if you go to Target, like mm-hmm. the shelf space for gaming is shrinking. Yep. So they're reliant on online retailers. Uh, if you... Go to a convention like PAX. Astro usually has a booth. I don't know if Turtle Beach usually does. Um, I don't know. It it honestly depends on the year. Mm-hmm. It does depend on the but, year. But I do think the criticism here is right. That because the console generations are so cyclical and because a lot of their products... Remember, Turtle Beach has so many products. Well, it's inscrutable at a certain point. Oh, it is inscrutable. And I did... I must have reviewed 25 headsets when I was at RIP10. I did oh, a huge man, that was headset. a number of years ago. I did a huge headset project. And, you know, Turtle Beach was a loner system. So they would send us like two or three headsets at a time. I would do my write-up, send them back. They'd send more. So it was them in Steel Series is was in the mix too. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we did any Mad Cats. We definitely did all the Astro stuff because it was super easy. Because there were only a handful. Mm-hmm. But they have to find other ways. The big message here, the takeaway is that... Turtle Beach has not done nearly enough to diversify its product it line. It has to, well, meaningfully yeah. diversify its product I line. I mean, out because, of headsets. Yeah. So, I mean, like, let's take a look at what Corsair has done. Corsair mm-hmm. has been extremely shrewd in the ways in which it is invested in additional peripherals sure. throughout the industry. They're not just, you know, memory and key, uh, memory and fans or anything like that anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not just that. Yep. You know, they are, they have keyboards they have mice they have Mm -hmm. headsets they have uh corsair owns elgato do they not yes corsair owns elgato and they own uh i can't remember what its name but they do um graphics for streamers visuals by impulse that's it bbi so Uh, i mean like yeah so if we're, we're talking about something that is like in a direct comparison corsair could have gone the same way that turtle beach did but they made different quite frankly, much more shrewd decisions Mm -hmm. when it came to investing in other companies and bringing in additional products to create an ecosystem. Yeah. And I think that what Turtle Beach did by spreading out their product line so much is they lose the ability of an Astro to do something like uh, ID, which says, all right, you can design your own tags. You can design, you know, we have very few units. So it's like, oh, you want this part, this color on this part. You're making multiple different colors of things that can all fit together into one of like three configurations. Or I guess they're just A40s. They're just A40s. So it's like literally one product, which is multiple different colors. You can't do that with with the Turtle Beach approach. And the other thing you can't do is there's not that iconic. I've had four pair of A40s. And they're each different. And they're each different and they've evolved along the way. Now, mm-hmm. now Astro's done some other stuff. They had their their mix amp that plugged into the Xbox One controllers back before you could plug a 
just plug a headset in. Right. Or plug your mix amp in. Yeah, that thing was dope. Yeah, it was cool. Um, So... So the, the point of all of this is, look, Turtle Beach has had plenty of time and had plenty of notice to take a look at the ways in which they operate in this industry and make different decisions. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, Turtle Beach has always, it has never made any bones about the fact that they are a headset company, but if they wanted to survive this console generation, they would have had to start making decisions many years ago. Yeah. And just one last comment on that. It's not just about how you diversify your product line or do your your augmentation to your product line with something like ID or or um, ear tags for the headsets. It's If I tell you I have a pair of A40s, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly. If I say I have a pair of A50s, oh, I have a Turtle Beach headset. Which one? I I don't remember which one I got. I don't remember. It was, it's one of the Xbox ones. And I mean, in comparison, you, you even have like a company like HyperX, mm-hmm. right? And HyperX has a number of different headsets, but like, they're all very different. They've and also diversified. You have, you have HyperX, uh, blue light glasses. I have two pairs actually. Yeah. The HyperX blue light glasses are legit the best blue light glasses on the market for me because they're cute and they fit nicely on my cheekbones. So nice. anyway... We could talk about this forever because this comes down to meaningful product diversification and revenue streams and Turtle Beach just simply hasn't made those decisions. And marketing because even Logitech, which has a number of different products across its areas in just in gaming, not to mention- Oh yeah, Logitech G. Yeah. Like they've they've got social on lock. Like they are really good. And it's also partly influencer marketing as well Mm -hmm. because they, they have a great- they have a great selection of influencers that they Mm -hmm. work with in a number of different places, you know, not just on Twitch, but on YouTube and on Facebook gaming and all that. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's really, it's really interesting watching like how Turtle Beach has lagged so incredibly when it didn't have to be that way. Yep. Moving on. NetEase has announced the opening of its first U.S. studio. Jackalope Games is based in Austin, Texas, and is led by former Daybreak Studios head Jack Emmert. Press release says that Jackalope will, quote, operate independently and maintain creative autonomy in its game development and publishing, and their first title will be a PC and console game. The studio will support remote work. I do love seeing all these new studios pop up with remote as built into the culture. It's it's really important because that's how you keep your workforce diverse. Well, especially now. Yeah, it's important. It's really important. All right, so let's talk about another studio opening. Nikon has announced a new studio in Milan, which will include Race Ward Studio, which specializes in racing games like Rims Game Racing and other teams. Uh, WPP and Epic Games have announced a partnership that will see the creation of a training program for WPP creatives and tech staff to learn how to create brand experiences in Fortnite and train on Unreal Engine for 3D creation. So it's a me- this is a metaverse conversation. And this is a metaverse training regimen. So this is a creative agency that builds out brand experiences in the metaverse, whatever that ends up being. But I look at this and it's like, all of this talk about the metaverse has been so brand focused that this is not this is what I want. Like This is dystopic. That's this isn't just, oh, this you is. can be anyone and go anywhere and you can do cool stuff. You can, you can. No, this bring... is Ready Player One BS. This is the it's metaverse. It's even worse that I... though. It's Ready Player One Trying to sell you shit. Well, yeah, that is what Ready Player One was. Ugh, God. It was just like brand activations everywhere. That's not, that's, if I ever wanted to do something like this, 
I, this is not brand activations is not how I want to live my alternate metaverse life. Well, and I mean, like there's some other implications in that too, when you fold in brand activations into a digital playground. Yeah. Like I'm writing a book about digital playgrounds right mm-hmm. now. And Fortnite is a digital playground. Make no mistake about it. There are children playing this game. And it's important that when we do talk about the metaverse that, you know, that's, that's something that comes into the conversation. So anyway, I'm sure that that won't be terrible. (laughs) Seems perfectly normal. Everything's fine. Speaking of perfectly normal things, Hmm. the FTC has opened up an investigation into Sony's proposed $3.6 billion takeover of Bungie. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Why? Uh, Honestly, and I said this on Twitter, I I think this is the FTC looking, like trying to look like it gets it. (laughs) But doesn't actually. Or trying to look like they give a shit. And somebody asked me, first of all, if this were to get blocked, that's it for the Activision Microsoft deal. Oh yeah, no, 100%. $69 Multiple studios versus one studio at 3.6 billion. And they some- should, like, I mean, come on. So someone said uh, to me, seems odd that either deal gets nuked while Tencent and Embracer just run around gobbling up IP and studios. Craziness. So my response to this was to, was to do some research. So Microsoft's market cap is $2.07 trillion. Yeah, but they're not just a gaming company. No, they're not, but $2.07 trillion. Sony's market cap is $108 billion. So they're not even playing in the same sandbox. They are not playing in the same sandbox. <laughs> Here's one for you. Tencent's market cap is $448 billion. Getting closer to playing in the right sandbox. And Embracer is $7.65 billion. So Embracer is teeny tiny. Eensy weensy. Compared to all of them. Yeah. Not that $7.6 billion is anything to sneeze at. So first of all, Tencent is- It's funny money though. Like after- It's all funny money. It's all funny money. After a million dollars, it's all funny money. So here's my explanation here. Tencent, first of all, not buying huge companies. Like they've no. done their big investments, Riot, Epic and stuff. The stuff that they're investing in right now, smaller, smaller, studios. smaller companies, startups, whatever, which isn't going to make anybody blink an eye. No. And part of the reason why they're doing that is because they want to be as hands-off as they can. Um, Embracer, obviously teeny tiny. So- so even when Embracer starts poking around in the United States, the FTC is not super worried about it. Well, I mean, they are poking around in the United yeah. States because they have, because they're poking yeah, at like this square, Crystal. Like the Square Enix thing, again, $300 million, which is bananas low. I still, seriously, go go listen to that episode from last week. We Mike and I really do get into it talking about Embracer and, you know, like the the real questions that I had around like what is too big to fail in this industry and it's mm-hmm. just it's, it was a very interesting conversation indeed so as for as for Sony though it's because they're first party and I, I still think this is this is make believe this is this is play acting because it kind of seems like it they would have to have stood up and laughed out loud about Microsoft and Activision for anybody to look at this and go oh they're serious they're not serious yeah. they're they're this is a show of we we see what you're doing. You know, you're you're getting to the point where we're we're concerned, but honestly, three point six billion dollars for Bungie. Where were they when when Disney bought Fox? Like, see, that's that's the thing that I always come back to is where were they when Disney bought Fox? That's that was an enormous merger. Yep, enormous. So, 
<sighs> the other thing that we're having a tough time around. Oh my God. That we continue to have a tough time yes. around. Is people throwing around the word monopoly. Specifically with regard to Tencent and the Square Enix stuff. Folks, $7.65 billion market cap, right? Mm-hmm. Versus the other three companies, which are just three companies. EA is bigger. Activision clearly bigger. Mm-hmm. Ubisoft is bigger. Like... Come on, guys. Like, that's not what a monopoly is. A monopoly literally means you have one key player. One. There are many key players in yes, this Yes, this isn't even a duopoly. No. It's... Okay. To assuage fears here about discussing these kinds of... Like, having these conversations. Talking about the problems around consolidation sure. is really, really important because it does create issues downstream yes it'll always create issues for people who are smaller it'll always create issues for indies for triple i for double a it'll always create those problems Mm -hmm. but talking about consolidation is not the same problem as talking about monopolies i don't even think the ftc is has looked sideways at 2k and uh at take two and zinga well that was well and honestly they probably shouldn't because it's not a monopoly like it's that's no, but so like, if you're going to look at these companies, you probably should have looked at the company that just spent like almost twelve billion dollars on a mobile company. Like, yeah. y'all, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that there is my general frustration about this, if I can, for one moment, is that there are a lot of headlines around this stuff, and some of the some of the writing is very good, and some of it is just hyperbolic. Mm. It's not just hyperbolic. It comes from a place of not even bothering to ask a question, a single question of somebody who knows what they're talking about. And I'm not saying that has to be me or you. No, no, but certainly literally not. ask somebody. There are plenty of financial analysts that work in this industry. There's plenty of analysts, period, that work in this industry. So just reach out, say hello, ask yeah. your questions. They won't bite you. But if they you like do, talking about if you, it. by the way, if you are somebody listening to this, and you write about these kinds of topics, and you're not an expert, you can always reach out to us. We're glad to talk to you. Yeah, 100%. As long as, you know, we're not running around to kiddo things. Yeah. Which... <laughs> the next couple months are a little banana pants. They really, really are. All right. Wrapping up investment interlude this week. <laughs> Hold on to your butts for this one. Activision is again under fire. Oh, I never saw that one coming. Yeah, no. No, so many reasons. But this time... Uh, New York City getting in on the action. The New York City Employees Retirement System, New York City Fire Department Pension Fund, the New York City Police Pension Fund, the New York City Board of Education Retirement System, and the Teachers Retirement System for the City of New York have sued Activision. (laughs) Why? So they allege that the $95 per share purchase price, or $69 million, that Microsoft is looking to pay for Activision, undervalues the company, and Bobby Kotick, was not fit to negotiate the deal. The $95 per share is actually only a 1% premium over the pre-Department of Fair Employment and Housing lawsuit share price. Interesting. I did not think to even look at that. Yes. I like that. That's So true. what they're saying is, if Bobby Kotick hadn't fucked around and therefore shareholders, you know, having to, of course, find out after this, then the share price would have stayed in the 90s or thereabouts. And therefore, Microsoft coming to the table with $95 a share would have been laughed at because it wasn't nearly enough of a premium to motivate investors. The growth potential would have been higher. 
So, of course, all of these groups are invested. And we've talked about the Ontario Teachers Union, I think, is what it was. Yeah, it was the pension plan. The pension, yeah, right, investing in, in companies like Ubisoft. Yeah, yeah, So it's sure. not uncommon for retirement groups, those those fund managers, to invest in growth stocks. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like a company like Activision, which had been pre, you know pretty stable. Mm-hmm. So they want to see, and they're entitled to see, the books and the records related to the deal. They made a demand on October 8th, 2021, because of Activision's leadership failures leading to the toxic work environment. Activision turned over some, but not all, the documents. And there's a line in the filing. Axios covered this mm. and posted the, the entire filing, which is where I read this. Let me drop that link in the show notes. Quote, with the announced merger, Kotick will be able to escape liability and accountability entirely and will instead continue to serve as an executive after the merger closes. Again, until it's announced that he's not, you have to assume that he is, right? Mm -hmm. Worse, despite his potential liability for breaches of fiduciary duty, the board allowed Kotick himself to negotiate the transaction with Microsoft. The board's decision to entrust Kotick with the negotiation process is inexcusable for the additional reason that Kotick stands to personally receive substantial material benefits whose value is not directly aligned with the merger price. They mean his golden parachute. Which gets bigger and meatier all the time. Yep. So essentially, New York City is trying to build a civil case to prove that Kotick and other Activision leaders knew about the workplace issues. <laughs> I mean, yep. doy. And actively mishandled them, aya. And when they were stonewalled on their legitimate request for documents, they sued because Kotick never should have been the one to negotiate the deal, in their opinion, but also possibly in everyone else's. Now, remember, we've talked about the shareholder suits that have not progressed yeah. because of fraud by hindsight. Yeah. yeah. Now, what this group is saying is, no, we want to see everything. They, they're looking us. for the smoking gun. They are. You know what? Good for them. Yep. Good for them. And let me tell you, as someone who has been living in the Metro New York area now for five, almost six years, when New York City has a bone to pick with you, they're going to bury you with that bone. Yes. <laughs> yes, they are. Just a quick reminder, the last deal that Kotick negotiated of this magnitude was Activision Blizzard's buyout from Vivendi when Vivendi was attempting to create a special dividend, which would have drained Activision's cash reserves, et yeah. cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Uh the a group of investors sued Bobby Kotick and his investment group I remember that this. bought a bunch of those that that bought a bunch of those shares. Yeah, I remember this. And said, "Hey, he unfairly enriched himself. This wasn't something that was offered to shareholders at large. He only this was only offered to a very select group. Therefore, we did not get the opportunities to benefit in a way that that these people did." Sure. That was settled for a massive $275 million. Holy smokers. So New York City actually has precedent here. Kotick has precedent. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be very interesting. This could actually damage the ability for Microsoft to acquire Activision. Um, and Bobby Kotick just generally has a history of shitty business deals that enrich himself and screw over others. So We've talked about it in depth. Yes. In depth around yeah. here. Oh, boy. Well, that was fun. Yeah. You know what we should do, though? What's that? We should take a break. Okay. Virtual Economy is an F-squared initiative, and along with pro bono business consulting for up-and-coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F-squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.com. 
And we're back. Hey, Mike. Yes. What time is it? It's time for quick hits. Ooh, got it in one. Beautiful. You're implying that I don't often get it in one. I but do. when I don't get it in one, you guys miss out on the comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's because I'm I'm, I'm okay at editing sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Only sometimes, though. Kicking off quick hits today, Zynga has announced that the president of publishing, Bernard Kim, is leaving the company. Kim is heading to Match Group, which is Tinder and Match.com, at the end of May. He was with the company for six years. So it's not far-fetched to suggest that this is related to the pending Take 2 acquisition. Yeah, I mean, I assume that once that was announced, he might have made his decision and was looking to get out and... I mean, if you take a look at Gibbo's um, management team, like his executive team, mm-hmm. they all believe in him and yeah. his leadership and the way that he's taken the company from like sub-basement levels of what it was before mm-hmm. to where it is today. Under like Don Matrick, you mean? <laughs> God, Don Matrick. Man. There's a guy, there's a guy who failed up a couple times. Yeah, I mean... The amount of reporting that each of us have done around these kinds of things is just beautiful. Yeah, here's a, here's a weird one. And uh, I, I don't necessarily want to name him because I don't know if you wrote a story about this. But a reporter reached out to me and asked, have you seen this thing? Uh, and I sat on it until the next day when it was reported by a different outlet. And at that point, the, it was out there. So I didn't feel terribly bad about commenting on it because it would it had been reported out sure um people can fly issued its annual report for 2021 and in the report the company says it has not received any royalty payments for outriders through the end of 2021 so that game came out on april 1st 2021 and uh, and this is through december 31st 2021 has not no royalties have been paid out now you may have seen some reporting around this that said the game has not made back its expenses. And I want to caution you that that is not the correct interpretation necessarily of what's been said, because that has not been said. That was not in the annual report. You and I had an awesome conversation about it that clearly made its way into our show notes. It did. (laughs) So the language here is extremely specific. The level of royalties depends on the amount of specific proceeds from the game's sales. The group received no royalties from the publisher for the period to December 31st, 2021, which means that as the reporting date, net proceeds from the sale of Outriders were insufficient to recover the costs and expenses incurred by the publisher to develop, distribute, and promote the title. So here's why we're being very careful here. The word sales is used multiple times. Yep. And as I just mentioned, the game came out on April 1st, 2021, and on console, it launched on Game Pass. Yes, it did. So that is not a sale. It is not. It is It is a different payment. And depending on... And we have to think about the timing. So the game came out on April 1st, 2021. Let's assume it, it was... The deal was signed maybe three years prior. So we're talking 2018. Mm-hmm. Game Pass wasn't what it is now no. in 2018. It was incy. So the language of the contract between Square Enix and People Can Fly may have been so specific as Square Enix may could conceivably and legitimately... Even though it's shady. Even though it's shady, would be shady if it's what If happens. it's true, yeah. Not include... 
revenue related to the Game Pass deal as part of the recoup calculation. That's so brutal. If that actually is the case, that is brutal. Additionally, so hold on, I got to pull up my thread real quick because I actually looked this up. It was in the... It was um, it was in the annual report. So let's see, uh, footerish PCF. I'll find the thread. So they signed the deal for the DLC, which was announced in twenty twenty, in August twenty twenty. So let's call that for eight months before the game came out. Mm -hmm. So the decision to produce the DLC wasn't necessarily tied to close to release pre-sale numbers or anything like that. It's a weird one because if we're sitting here nine months later and the game had three million concurrents or three million players early on and it had positive buzz, though there were some big bugs up front that actually ruined people's progress. It actually killed their progress entirely. Mm -hmm. And we had a, um, we had a knock on effect because we know that game pass is a force multiplier. Yep. Um, and I did some calculations here as well. Of course you did. So that was a good thread. Thank you. Um, so using the new box lighter number and the number of reviews. So the way the box lighter number works is you look at the number of reviews that a game has on Steam, you multiply it by, I think it's 34. Okay. And then you fact that gives you into in the ballpark of how many units it sold. On Steam alone, it looks like it's sold in the neighborhood of 2.2 million copies. That should have been more than enough to make back recoup. Between that, that's not even console sales. That's not even that console point. sales. That's that's like And it was on EGS. But I don't. But I imagine EGS would have been a smaller proportion. So here we are. So we're looking at these numbers and going, did Square Enix pocket all of the Game Pass money and not consider that as part of revenue against recoup? Holy That's my big question here. So when you see a headline that says the game hasn't made back its expenses, you need to be very careful because that actually isn't confirmed. Is it we possible? We don't know. It's, is it's it possible? possible? Yeah, it's possible. But w there is a lot. There's a big gaping hole in the language here mm -hmm. because Game Pass that that lumps. So so okay. Here's what might have happened. One, Square Enix negotiated a bad deal. Now that could either be they accepted too little for the game's appearance on console Game Pass, mm -hmm. or and this would this would be terrible if they did. They negotiated a pay for play. Oh, that would be awful. Because what happened, that game did not have much of an end game. The end game wasn't that good. No. So I don't think people really stuck around. So probably for the first month, it would have done really well. But on a pay for play where essentially they look at, you know, okay, total amount of time spent on Game Pass. How much time was spent in your game? We do a calculation versus how much each minute of gameplay is worth or oh. something like that. And then, yeah, it would have been bad. So did... Square Enix sign a very bad deal? Well, considering what they just sold to Embracer for $300 million. Could be. Could be. So That's I just... ugly. I, I definitely wanted to cover this because I saw a lot of really uninformed reporting around this. There was some really good reporting around this, but I saw some very uninformed or at least 
not critical and potentially not having the language to be critical about what how this all works. Mm-hmm. So definitely wanted to have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But it's that's, an ugly one. I feel for people can fly. That's really Regardless ugly. of how this shakes out, I feel for them. Yeah. 100%. Like, because this is... Here's the thing. Like, they're in Poland, which means cost of living is lower and development costs tend to be a little bit lower. It shouldn't matter. Right, but that would bring the total budget down. Oh, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Yeah, this whole thing's really ugly. I really yeah. don't like it. Like, uh, I, I think that... Now, here's the thing. If you've never looked at one of these contracts... You know, so they get royalty reports on a quarterly basis. They actually have the right to request an audit. Interesting. I wonder if they will. I, I, wonder, I hope they do. Because something's, something's weird here. Yeah, something is really strange. All right. Uh, speaking of strange things that are also very frustrating, uh, NVIDIA has uh, drawn the ire of the SEC. Interesting. Yeah, they uh, the SEC has fined the graphics card manufacturer $5.5 million for obfuscating its business revenue. Now stay with me here. The SEC says that the company did not accurately report how many of its sales were tied to crypto mining. Yep. The issue is that since crypto is wildly fluctuating and unpredictable, hiding that information from investors actually prevents investors from making reasonable analysis about the business's trajectory and consistency. Yep. So NVIDIA eventually came out with crypto-focused cards, but they were still selling GPUs to crypto miners. So Uh that, that made it very, very fuzzy. So the dispute has been settled, but NVIDIA didn't actually admit doing anything wrong. Well, that's the way these things go. So that's the way settlements go. Yeah. But the SEC is definitely going to be watching to make sure that that NVIDIA learned its lesson. And AMD too, for that matter. Yeah, for real. Like, pay attention. If you are not adequately and accurately reporting on your sales, SEC is looking at you. Yeah, this was the warning shot. It was. Yep. And those were quick hits. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Like the look on your face mm. when you do quick hits. I have I have resting quick hits face. You do have resting quick hits face. All right. Onwards to the labor report. Uh, not a terribly long labor, labor report. We've got one little piece of Activision Blizzard stuff. Uh, Blizzard has announced the hiring of Jessica Martinez as the company's first VP head of culture. Martinez comes from 14 years at Disney where she was chief of staff and advised the chief security officer and the chief technology and digital officer for Disney Parks. Unfortunately, we assume that given she was hired by Mike Ibarra that she's being paid less than a man would be in that role. Yeah, so for those of you who didn't catch that little bit of shade, uh, you might recall that Blizzard once had two co-heads after um, J. Allen Brack left. It was Mike Ibarra and Jen O'Neill, and then uh, Jen O'Neill didn't get paid the same amount as Mike Ibarra. Yeah. And she pretty much flipped them off and said, you know, I'm done. Yeah. And here's why I'm done. And F you right into the sun. That's my interpretation. That's my dramatic reading. Yeah. Yeah, they they so, did they did Jen O'Neill extremely I have, dirty. I have no faith in Mike Barra, zero, none. I mean, same. So yeah. okay, cool. Yep. All right. Um, now we're gonna talk a little bit about why at the top of the show we talked about abortion. Yep. 
in the this United States. This is a call States. to action. This is, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to take a step back as the not American because I, I don't think I really have anything that would be useful and constructive to say here. So I'm going to just let Mike lead this conversation. All right. Uh, as many of you probably know, here in the United States, we are facing a new, a renewed, yet another yet civil another. rights crisis. That part. Uh, the Supreme Court seems ready to send us back to the Stone Age and overturn the 50-year-old decision uh, in the Roe v. Wade case that legalized abortion across the United States. We want to make our stance clear. Abortion is a deeply personal decision that must be left in the hands of individuals who can become pregnant. And based on a lot of reading and understanding, reading the draft decision that was leaked, uh, anti-abortion zealots are not going to stop here. The leaked opinion this week, uh, last week will undermine the right to privacy, which is the underpinning of a number of crucial civil rights decisions, including those that enshrine interracial marriage, access to contraceptives, same-sex marriage, and more. And I was really hoping that I was going to have to revise this before we recorded, but not nearly enough studios have stood up to support the right to abortion. Bungie was the first and loudest studio to step up and say something. Their statement was amazing. There's whoever is running their social right now. Yeah. Give them a cookie. Yes. All of the cookies. Because they're not taking any shit. And people are like, oh, stick to games. And they're like, no. <laughs> no, we have people. I want to cancel studio. my account and somebody else chimes in. Well, uh, you can't. You're going to have to keep it installed for nine months. <laughs> what? Really? Yes. I see that one. Yep. That's incredible. Uh, someone, someone else responded. So you are OK with somebody aborting something after it started? Wow. Okay. Well, anyway, so Bungie's social is has been exceptionally on point about this. Yeah. More, more specifically. Uh, yeah. So then Hinterland Studio, that's the team behind The Long Dark, also made a statement. And then late last week, ArenaNet made a show of support. It was very concise. It was not verbose in any way, but mm -hmm. it got the message across. Uh, and then Double Fine stepped up as well. But I'm going to say something right here. I'm putting my iPad down. I don't need my iPad for this. I'm speaking from the heart on this one. If you are a company that had the gall in March to step up and do anything, and I mean anything, around Women's Health, uh, Women's History Month, and you are not speaking up right now, oh, fuck you. <laughs> Like, literally, you have just shown that you are not interested in the values of protecting women and other people who can become pregnant. Mm -hmm. You are interested in marketing. You are interested in using women for marketing just like, maybe to a lesser extent, but just like the conservative white men in this country are interested in using women as baby factories. Then, then, and this is the part that really fucking burns me. Then, when the child is born, now, even before that, you're not interested in ensuring that that mother has proper health care. Which is important. Prenatal care Prenatal is, care is vital. Is essential. You are not interested in ensuring that that child and the mother have access to, I don't know, lactation counseling. Postnatal care. Postnatal care, lactation counseling, formula, everything that, that the child might need. Health insurance for that child and that mother. You are, and now you've got Texas who is like, mm, maybe we don't need to educate every child. Maybe that shouldn't be a requirement of the law. You're not actually interested in the child. You're not interested in the mother, certainly if you think an ectopic pregnancy can somehow magically be transplanted, as some motherfucker said. 
I don't what? Yes. They That's do, not how ectopic pregnancy Stop letting work. M- old men write laws about women's bodies, about people who can have, who can become pregnant. I am so fucking fed up at the hypocrisy. So stop calling yourself pro-life. Just say you're anti-choice because you are not pro-life. So one thing that I did want to bring up just really quickly, um, Hinterland Studio is not American. No, they're Canadian. Hinterland is actually um, based both in Van- on Vancouver Island and in Vancouver, British Columbia, which is not my hometown, but it is my home city. This is not something that is just an American issue. In Canada, we also don't have laws ratifying the right to abortion, it, like in our country, anywhere. But... I think that Canadians would be real angry and we don't have the same kinds of politically structured issues to like, I mean, they, they could hold a referendum, I guess, but it's not, it's not the same thing. We don't have the same set of laws and we don't have the same approach to politics because we have a parliament. I'm not sure what America has anymore. I think it's theocracy. Some, the word you're looking for is theocracy. I feel like we kind of swing wildly between theocracy and autocracy. So good times. So it isn't just about American companies coming out and saying something, although it does largely need to be American. And if you do have studios in America, you work with Americans, you should be saying something. Yep. It's important because especially if you have people at your country that are American that you know, could potentially become pregnant at some point, it's your responsibility to take care of them because they are part of your workforce. They are part of the reason why you are able to put out games on a regular basis. This industry runs on people. I don't know how many, how many more times that we have to say that on this show, but this, this whole industry would not work if without people, it just wouldn't, you would not have games. There would not be players to play those games. This is, this is an issue that needs, that is a slippery slope that needs to be discussed, that needs to be talked about, and that needs to be upheld in this industry. Mm-hmm. And I, I promise you, come March 1st, 2023, we will be watching. And not just, and I don't mean just the two of us. I mean, the industry will be watching. If you are quiet now and you have the cojones to say a single thing uh, starting on March 1st, 2023, when the next Women's History Month begins, expect the fury because... Oh, yeah. No, I'll be sharpening my knives. I mean, my words. Knife words. Knife words. Knife words. Knife words. The brand new word game. Knife words. Knife words. Coming soon to not iOS. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe there's a progressive web app for that. <laughs> Just progressive everything right now because I'm sick of conservatives, man. And with that, thank you for listening to the Virtual Economy podcast. I know we got pretty political, but we don't shy away from that on this show. We and certainly if, do not. If it's your first show, well, welcome to the party because this is this is who we are and we don't make any apologies. Correct. So you can follow us on Twitter at, at Virtual Econcast. I'm at Amanda Farrow. And I am, uh, uh, what am I? Oh, I'm at Footerish. <laughs> I love that you're like double fisting technology right now you got your phone in your left or in your you got your phone you got your ipad you just like you had to go for it i i am at footerish f-u-t-t-e-r-i-s-h 
He totally lost the thread, though. <laughs> that's that's why he took a beat. He was looking at both of his devices literally at the same time okay. and was not listening. I'm old. At I forgot all. how to multitask. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, you can subscribe to our RSS feed at uh, virtualeconcast.com. You can listen to us on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and more. So if you enjoyed the show, you liked what you heard. Subscribe, dang it! I mean, we would like it if you would subscribe. Yes. And you know, honestly, give us a rating. Yeah, if you can, on if your you platform can. of choice. Absolutely. Honestly, every little bit really does help. It does. And we have been, we're so grateful because the show has grown so much over the last couple of years. And we wouldn't, again, we wouldn't be here without the people. Absolutely. So thanks for hanging with us. Absolutely. If you do have questions or comments, you can DM us or you can send them to podcast.fsquared.biz. We have a Discord server. If you are interested in joining our wonderful community of Discord uh, fans and friends, uh, just hit us up on Discord legit, or uh, of, on Twitter and we'll just send you over the link. It's one of the chillest places. It's it one is. of the chillest servers. We Lately, just, we've been just talking about... Uh, like tabletop. Tabletop. Gil's been running a, a D&D campaign for his mom and there's that's been a lot of focus. Yeah, it's so like tabletop. We talk about video games. You can come in. You can share you know, what you're working on. Yeah. We've got a writing channel if you want to come and like share your writing and, mm-hmm. and chat with... You know, like we have lots of different stuff going on. You can even share recipes. Oh, yeah, because I cook like a fiend, y'all. It's true. But in the meantime, uh, we have a lot of earnings this week, so we're going to have to figure out when we're doing our earnings show, so stay tuned for that. (laughs) Early next week, probably. Probably, and then we'll see what other news pops up. Uh, But until then, remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another. We'll see you soon.